Lights, camera, action. Welcome to another edition of Movie Madness in association with Spitballing Pod. I'm Luke Byron, joined by Tom Kennett, and this is our Christmas special. Today we'll just be going through a couple of festive scenes from non-festive films. So, uh, TK, Merry Christmas. Same to you, sir. Thank you. Just a couple of days away. Um, you know Keelan's thoughts on Christmas, if anyone's wondering uh, why he's not here. Um, and last year, I think we kind of did all the Christmas films that essentially we would have spoken about. So uh, we're left with this. Um, we've got a number of scenes to go through. We referenced it when we did the big Goodfellas pod, but that would be the place where we would start. Um, watched that scene back probably, probably more times than any other scene in Goodfellas um, since we did the podcast. Just the way it's put together, everything's everything about it. And before we even get into that, I think so many of these films just including a christmas scene is so worthwhile i don't know why more films don't do it because all you need is just to nail that one scene and then your streams your dvd buys etc etc must just go up in december it is weird that isn't it yeah yeah how the, like this is as far as the many great scenes of goodfellas go this is a pretty insignificant one really yeah and yet it does stick in in the mind doesn't it Partly testament he, to De Niro in this case, but you are yeah. right. As, as a wider point, sticking a, a Christmas scene, it does just. I even did it with like The Godfather. There's a very small <laughs> thing where him, him and uh, where Michael and Kay are going Christmas shopping, and it's actually when he finds out his dad's been shot. But it's still in my mind. It's like, oh, that's a bit of Christmassy there. <laughs> he thinks I'm, his dad's I'm, been killed. I'm looking forward to watching The Godfather again because I've only seen it the once, um, and so I'm kind of waiting for when me and Keenan do it on here, mm. but part of me thinks because with some of these films that we do especially in the crime bracket it does take a couple of scenes a couple of run-throughs to be able to kind of dissect everything properly so i may have to properly uh put some time to the side and maybe this is my opportunity to take the op- take the chance while arsenal are out of europe just be watching the godfather like every thursday until i can post <laughs> it on the back of my own even a film like um why him, which I've referenced plenty of times. I think it's the last James Franco film before the allegations started getting <laughs> a bit more serious. Um, but the fact they just set that at Christmas, when you look at lists of like Christmas films from the 2010s or something, did the sheer fact they set it at Christmas meant that more people saw it? I remember I think it came out around the Christmas New Year time and us when there used to be more of us at the cinema card we went to see it for that reason i think they had the christmas thing in the trailer i mean it just kind of added in that we made a point to go and see it around christmas so i think franco was threatening to build a build a christmas monopoly do you think until what happened and yeah until he's been wiped out <laughs> but yeah, so he must now. have thought everything's gone around me but i've still got seth and then he saw that interview he's like yeah i won't be working with uh, james <laughs> franco again he's like, oh, for god's sake he didn't even hesitate either. No. Ruthless. Um, the Goodfellas scene then. So the description of the scene I've got, uh, they say the tense scene centres around Robert De Niro's master thief, Jimmy Conway, and his decked out cronies at the bash, 
all set to the tune of Frosty the Snowman and Christmas Baby Please Come Home, which, if you listen to Monday's episode, is my Christmas song of the year. Frosty the Snowman playing is just a nice start because initially the heist has just been completed. They're all in a jolly mood. You do kind of think this is just going to be a chirpy scene. It's the beauty of it, actually, isn't it? It's brilliantly how they shift the tones because it is... He's welcoming them all in. He's like, hey, good to see you, man. And he's quickly obviously realising what they've done. And within the space of two to three minutes, he's having it out with all of them. Because, I mean, Frankie walks in with his wife in a mink coat. (laughs) The guy before, his name escapes me, literally makes the point of opening the door, pointing De Niro at the front (laughs) to say, look at this car. And he's always muttering to himself, going, I love that car. (laughs) <laughs> he's so pleased with himself and I don't know what reaction they were expecting this is one half of it that you know you really can't understand it's, it's, it's bad enough that you've just done a heist and then you've gone and spurred your money on something anyway but the fact that you've then gone and directly told Jimmy Conway <laughs> just seems so incredible that you would do that well, his, uh, his thing of um, oh well my mother-in-law bought it for yeah. me felt I don't know why but this felt straight out of a, a Sean Shute sort of playbook of Excusing something he's done <laughs> with like some like stupid excuse, you're like, that do- really doesn't matter. That's neither here nor there. <laughs> it's very much of the short shoot, nothing ever comes of it, sort of thing. I think something might come of the fact that you bought a new car, we've just done a robbery. Yeah, he looks so confused at the fact that Jimmy could be anything but over the moon for him that he's just bought his wife a pink car. But when you think essentially, after the first 20 minutes, like the next hour of the film is essentially saying Jimmy is a guy who, who's very shifty. He does not want to be behind bars. And at a moment's notice, he will take you out if he thinks that you're infringing on his chances of freedom. He's wiping out even like anyone even loosely linked to it at this point. <laughs> and, and all of these people are just kind of going, well, I guess we've known each other since like. 10, 15 years, so I'm sure he'll be fine with it. <laughs> like he has no history of just being utterly ruthless. And then the music kind of fades out just as they get into the real kind of crux of the argument. But these two, he lets them actually go into the party, unlike when Frankie comes in and he kicks them out and says, look, go turn this right now. <laughs> him, him trying to get the coat off of uh, Frankie's wife. Oh. She can't get her arms out of it. <laughs> oh. Take it off. Take it off while she was hoisting it off of her back. It very much feels a natural scene because obviously he struggles getting the coat off there. When he's talking to the guy before, he has just ended up repeating himself. When he is, The guy keeps going, what are you getting excited for? <laughs> and he just keeps going, are you stupid? Are you stupid? He does that thing, um, I think De Niro does it in all of his films, really, when he's supposed to be kind of getting worked up, where he looks at the floor for a second like he's trying to compose himself. And every time he says, like, what are you getting excited for? He looks at the floor like, I can't believe I'm having to deal with this right now. (laughs) And then even once you've gone past those two, you've got the moment with um, Tommy saying to his bird at the time eyes ahead you look at anyone else and I'll fucking kill you is... and then maybe it's like oh he's so he's so protective so good for you yeah she, she goes uh, if I even look at someone he's killing me and she's like oh that's nice yeah. <laughs> it's, a, it's actually a great like comedy scene the whole yeah. this whole scene 
I can't take credit for it myself. Um, one of the YouTube comments, and it's, it's a great point, says that I'm amazed no one's done like a full comedy sketch of this where Jimmy's in there and just gradually the gifts just start getting <laughs> bigger and bigger as people walk through until it's just something like insane, like a monster truck or something outside. <laughs> and you can absolutely nail it. And Yeah, that is true. For, for all of these kind of like, tells is a pretty easy guy for like an impressionist to recreate so you, you could do that and i guarantee it would clean up on the internet especially at this time for sure like, even the end of this this scene when uh it's just when maury pops up to try and get that yeah. money back on doesn't it it's like you've got to read the room man you got to go this isn't the time so i wrote down about this and it's like i do understand his point you would be annoyed if you're seeing a pink car outside a mint coat coming through the front door and you're the only one that hasn't got your money but at the same time, you do know these guys well enough. Because already at this point, he's been cracking a phone over his head, hasn't he? <laughs> yeah. Well, it's not like but, he doesn't know the kind of guy he is. One of the incredible things about Morris, is he actually gets more bullish as the film goes on. As he sees yeah. more and more of what these guys can do, he seems to actually get more confident. It should go the other way. You should be terrified. He must think, he must think he's in with him. That is kind of it, especially because he seems like he thinks he's friends with Henry. You know, that really yeah. doesn't mean anything. He's he might not kill you, but he's not going to stop him either. No, and then the whole build up to it, where Henry's like, "No, oh, I can't believe what these guys are doing," and then ends with Karen. I got the most expensive tree they had, and handing her handing her a wad of cash. <laughs> Although I imagine that Christmas tree, in comparison to a mink coat and a pink sports car, is probably not something where. If you're investigating the case, you're going to go, hang on a minute. He's just bought an expensive <laughs> Christmas tree. I knew I knew he was guilty when he bought an eight-footer. That's, yeah. that's when I knew. What are your thoughts on white Christmas trees? It's, it's tricky, that, isn't it? It's very tricky. It, is there a way of getting one without looking pretentious? No, I remember one year, and you may even still have it, we walked into my dad's and he, he had a phase where he would just love getting whatever their like, latest gadget is. To the point where, I mean, he has one of them where he had, I think you may have seen it, the, the TV and then one of those like fake fireplaces. And it was right, like right, right. the gadget, like it's just just wanting to kind of have the, have the next thing out there. And we walked in one Christmas and he had like the most fiber optic Christmas tree like I've oh, ever God. seen. To the point where once you've been sat in the room for a couple of minutes, you had to like, you turn that off, it's like hurting my eyes. Because all that <laughs> in the corner of your eye, you could see. It didn't just light up like it, it was multicolored, like it flipped between different colors constantly. Um, and you couldn't speak to someone without just seeing that flash <laughs> in the corner of your eye. Probably still has it somewhere, to be fair. But that probably was one of them where it's like, what's the flashiest Christmas tree you've got in here? I guess Jimmy. Uh, do you reckon Jimmy spent any of the cash with how pent up he was? It'd be quite something, wouldn't it, if we had like a cut scene? And he has actually sorted all of the money, but he's just furious with everyone else. Now he he's obviously a lot more careful than the rest of them, I think, isn't he? He's yeah. It's a it's a great Christmas scene. Um, hmm. I mean, quite the opposite in terms of tone is there's a couple in Step Brothers, and the the one we picked out was um, the two brothers saying they're going to open one present each. So this is right i think the next scene is christmas day when they announce they're getting divorced and they start crying at the christmas table um so this is after they've been sleepwalking 
from memory. And you can see they're on the brink by the fact that the dad says, I'm going down the Cheesecake Factory for a drink. <laughs> and, uh, He's done. He's absolutely it's, done. It's Christmas Eve. Oh, Merry Christmas. For anyone um, wondering, actually, in the bio of this episode, I will put the YouTube playlist in that has each scene that we've covered here. So you can click off and watch the scene first as long as you do come back. Um <laughs> Do you ever do anything like that? Open one present on Christmas Eve? Uh, no, I got I got told by no, a lot of I, people doing this, but I never had. I didn't. There was a phase where my brother used to buy me just like a weird thing on Christmas Eve each year. I think it was like one of the Mankini, the one year that came out, which, I mean, no one needs to think about the idea of me wearing one of them. Christ. But his one here is so good. I, I I'm not even sure if this scene is in the like uh like theatrical cut i think it may be a bonus scene that came in after um but they quote dale got a whole cans i got a hundred percent rawhide wallet (laughs) that doesn't even count i opened a box of shit (laughs) i bet whole cans made a comeback after this film to some extent yeah you're probably right i feel like they did have a bit of a resurgence i feel like you would have seen them in shops and stuff I see it now. Um, and everyone's well, got a wallet, so look. Yeah. This film really did have an influence. He says, I've got a perfectly good Velcro wallet. I don't know why I need this. <laughs> but things like superheroes do seem to be um, kind of branching out like younger and younger. Because I've got the wall where you see I do the interviews of all the uh, photos. And then my nephew's two now was coming around the other week and he's pointing out all the superheroes on there saying he gets shown them at nursery. So, younger and younger. See, I mean, it's easy to know what to buy him for Christmas. He didn't get whole cans. But there's easily a market for him. <laughs> yeah, you're not wrong. The whole, the whole scene is, is just brilliant. And I guess if you're doing a film where the whole thing is about the guys don't act their age, then Christmas is the perfect chance to show that. Your bread and butter, isn't it? Yeah, I think what's well, the next one he opens a digital camera and he's buzzing and he's like, I bought that for Robert. Oh, put that, put that down. <laughs> he's fuming again, and then she goes back upstairs. Um, the uh, the buying of a wallet is the perfect way of aging him as well. It's like that is what a thirty nine year old man should be being bought, and yet for some reason he's obviously distraught with it. I can imagine that being one of those. Um, I think a wallet is a classic case of perhaps underwhelming when you open it first of all and then maybe in the days after christmas you're like that is actually quite a good that is actually quite a good present that is quite a handy present sure yeah there's a stage in everyone's life when presents start becoming more practical than fun that's a depressing reality yeah i remember um the year and i think i told him at the time well i didn't tell it at the time but perhaps i consider myself to be very grateful for any present I get and I, my bugbear is people that can't even pretend they are grateful like if you've given someone a, a present before and they kind of screw their face up and it's like it's never you after I've spent a tenner on you like, yeah that you don't is, want to be doing this that is bad I remember I can't think what it was I think my brother opened something that I really like the look of and then I got you know that um kind of like 
Fred Perry jacket I've got, the like Harrington one. But I opened it up and I was really underwhelmed. And I kind of kept a straight face, but <laughs> I was quietly like, wouldn't even be something I'd wear. Like, I don't know. Like, and then a couple of days after, I think I put it on. I was showing my mum, and I was like, oh, I don't know if I'm ever going to wear this. I actually quite like this. It's actually quite, and I think I've probably worn it more than any other jacket I've had in the last couple of years. So but sometimes you don't appreciate it at first, a couple of days after. The thing is, is very true, though. How... So what's the, how old or younger are your brothers to you in terms of, is there a brother you're particularly close in age to? Uh, both similar, sort of, all within like four years of each other. So yeah. It's not... So I remember um, my brother opening up a South Park DVD for Christmas one year. Probably would have been when we were in uh, secondary school. And I put it on my list. And I was convinced that it had just been written down to the wrong person. And I even said when it came out, I kind of laughed, like, oh, was that one for me? And it wasn't. I was just boiling that one. <laughs> oh, no. <laughs> he doesn't even like it. And he's got this for Christmas. <laughs> and then, in fairness, I think the next one I opened was like the Die Hard box set, which I'd never seen before. But that is a very real thing where you can be envious seeing what someone else has opened. There's two years between me and Jack and then two years between Jack and Harry. So we probably all have that at some instance. It gets like envy over someone else's gift. I feel like I'm a bit of a sport brat after the last two stories I've had, but uh, (laughs) that's why I put the thing in there. Just to, just to, on the record, I am very grateful. (laughs) Hopefully that balances it out. Um, When you search for iconic Christmas scenes, I don't know if this is damning or not, but Mean Girls is right near the top of the list. And you can look at the kind of uh, Google trends and things. I didn't take down the specifics, but the viewership of this at Christmas goes up like crazy. And it's all just because of this one scene. Um, I think some people hit a point where they just kind of write off like they they won't watch Christmas films at all. They, they don't like Christmas films at all. So I guess this is a happy compromise for if you're watching with someone or if they just want to feel a bit Christmassy. A film where you do have a scene like this in there. The descriptor, Regina George and the Plastics Winter Talent Show performance goes down in history as one of the most iconic Christmas moments of all time. Their choreography to Jingle Bell Rock while decked out in Santa-styled outfits may have been on the naughty side of Mr. Claus's list, but Tina Fey's Mean Girls should definitely top your list of non-Christmas movies this year. Did you watch Mean Girls when you were younger? Have you seen Mean Girls? Yeah, yeah. I mean, it was oddly, it was a, a frequent player for, um, like, in, uh, no, you know, when uh, you had like yeah. a, a day towards the end of term. Yeah. Um, and you had maybe a, a supply teacher, whatever, they would just stick that on. Uh, that, yeah, it seemed to be a frequent one for, for whatever reason. No, no real idea why. So I've seen Mean Girls, oddly, a lot of scenes, yeah. quite a lot. Imagine your one. This, this was an odd rewatch, I'll be honest. I hadn't seen it yeah. in a little while. I was thinking this is a bit odd. Yeah, I guess the first thing that I considered is um, they're supposed to be about 16, 17 years old in this. Yeah, and obviously... The, because it's the, not college, is it? It's high school there. No, that, the that is it. That's, that is the thing. And obviously, when we were watching when we younger, they're older than us, so you don't really think much of it. No. And then you, you know the adults are acting shocked. And now when you're watching it, you're seeing like the blokes in there, obviously like obviously thinking, I don't yeah. know where to look at it. And you're like, yeah, that would be odd, wouldn't it? So... 
I always say I don't want to sound piggish, but I do think this is a, a worthy look back in history. That Listen, we set our stall out. There's no point in uh, like, going back now. When you look back, Lindsay Lohan was considered as like the dime of that group. That was time. she? A group of, well, I mean, Rachel McAdams, surely. I don't know if she if she was seen like that then. I mean, obviously she was seen as good looking, but Lindsay Lohan was everywhere. I imagine she would have. She had a, a very oh, she was the biggest star. Peak. She was the biggest star for sure. But if you watching as kid, I think you would have thought Regina George was a uh, was the fittest one. I think even you've got Amanda Seyfried in that group as well. Well, I was going to ask you about this. Um, I've seen some clips from Ted Two lately. Now I've not watched it back. I don't think since watching it in the cinema. The few clips I've seen make it look like it, it could have been like one of the funniest films ever made. And I don't remember that being the case. Uh, I'm trying to think if I've actually seen Ted 2. I don't know if I have. There's a scene where they're talking about The Great Gatsby and uh, F. Scott Fitzgerald and Mark Wahlberg and Ted are asking what is, what is Scott Fitzgerald to? Why are you saying fuck him? <laughs> and the whole scene I saw like a, just a two minute clip the other day and it's just like just home runs for the whole like two minute clip and I was like I might need to rewatch this because I don't yeah, think yeah. it being this funny in the cinema um, certainly when you look back now even when you take the conversation we just had out of it Lindsay Lohan being at best the third most famous face on that list now because you'd think Rachel McAdams and Amanda Seyfried have both blown up in the time that she's been here there and everywhere yeah and unfortunately for Lynn's it's more infamy than fame a, a yeah. large amount of her thing now isn't it uh, like she would have an argument I, I'm maybe second to Rachel McAdams I think she if you were to do the old uh, Google hits maybe again yeah. maybe not for the right reasons <laughs> the, the thing with this scene that kind of brought it back in the short term was Rita Ora did her own version of this and it was on every lad's Facebook, Twitter, <laughs> Instagram for, for that Christmas. Um, and that definitely bought it back for a short period. Smart bit of marketing on her part. In the, in the, in the black and white. I know there's a lot of controversy around uh, her lately. Is people realise that, I don't know the right, the right way to put it, but it's around the, the same conversations they're having about uh, Jesse Nelson from Little Mix. Oh, oh, I see. Right. Yeah. So like they've it. seen that what her uh, kind of family origins are, and so like, I'm not sure you've been having this. You've been having this on here. Well, his is. Uh, she's been pretty open. She's Kosovan, isn't she? So I thought, you know, I thought that was fairly, uh, fairly out there. But fair enough. Uh, people have turned on her lately. If you have a little uh, search for her name, I think people started to turn when she had that picture with Conor McGregor yeah. and basically just doubled down on it. It just carried on. Yeah. You do know he's basically married. Very weird. Well, no, basically about it. He's, uh, I mean, I think... I, I don't believe he was married at the time, was he? but they, they'd had she, a couple of kids together. So it was in the oven, yeah. Yeah, yeah. Do you think there's any thought from the directors at the time? Because it, it is a tricky one where obviously the point of the scene is that these girls are acting like they're older than they are. And you have the comparison with, um, I forget her name in the film, but Lindsay Lohan's character's parents look completely shocked, including her dad there. <laughs> and then on the other hand, you've got uh, Regina George's mum who's loving it and involved. <laughs> is, it, is there any conversation you think they have as a director where they're like, 
the characters are supposed to be 16 in this. And it's not even just that they're wearing like uh, short outfits. I mean, they're full on like DX crotch chopping the audience. I think um, it sounds an odd thing to say in, that it's just, in the grand scheme of things, it's obviously still fairly recent film, but I think we are in a different time. I think it is. It was maybe a slightly different where, and, and these girls are all obviously older than their characters are. The, the actual, yeah, the actors so that's, what, that's what I mean. So I think there's, there's any you don't have the, con- yeah, you don't have the concern in that regard. And I think, yeah, I think it was, it's probably just about, I'd say, on the line where you can say this isn't too suggestive, I think. I might be wrong. Yeah. Um, Rachel McAdams was 24, nearly 25. This is it. When, so it's, when she did Mean Girls. And, and frankly, I, I do think that kind of comes across in the film. I don't think... Actually, a little bit like... Uh, a little so bit like in Greece. 26 at the time. Bloody hell. A little bit like in Greece, where you're like, I know these people are not 16, 17 or whatever. You can try and pretend it all you want. But I know they're not. Yeah, Lindsay Lohan was 18 at the time. Okay, that's a little odd. Uh, Amanda Seyfried was 19. Yeah, they're right between about 18 and... That's it. They're they're obviously at least older than the the school kids they're portraying. I did think they'd probably all be in their 20s, though, wouldn't they? Because, I mean, I don't want to do the whole uh, kind of conversation, but even when you look now, it would be a bit different that it's directed by a man. Yeah, yeah, it's true. Who was 40 at the time. Tina Fey was only 34 when doing this. Blimey. She's considered to be like old. She's only, what, about eight years older than Rachel McAdams? Yeah. <laughs> but it certainly is. When when you Google kind of Christmas scenes, this is, if it's not top of the list, it's right up there. And, and I can't hear Jingle Bell Rock without thinking no, of this scene either. Which that's what I was about to say. It's probably smart for, probably great for, I, don't, I couldn't tell you who, who sang that, but it's probably great for them and great for the film. Scene ends with a chap walking past and saying, good job, Africa. <laughs> You've also got in this scene, this is where the uh, stop trying to make fetch happen. It's never going to happen. That was huge. I think I've told you when you said Mean Girls was the film you were watching at the time. Did I tell you the film that we we kept watching? I brought it in on, on DVD at the time, but I didn't expect it to then be played in every single lesson. Go on. Little Man with uh, Marlon Wayans. <laughs> okay. But it was awful, wasn't it? But I guess we had a smaller, like, the amount of people in our year at school was a lot smaller than yours. So yeah. more of you were in the same classes. So you were predominantly just watching the same hour over and over <laughs> and over again because there'd be like a couple of different people in your class. They would say, oh, well, I didn't see the first hour. So you just start it again and then again and then again. Oh, and God. I guess the teacher didn't want to be in a position where you're watching the last 30 minutes and then they've got to find something else to do for 30 minutes after that. And then we watched that and uh, during the film Holes. Yeah. Sh- Which Buff. I've never seen. Have you not? Blimey, if, if, you, no. if you'd gone to our school, you would have seen it count so times Christ alive. That's the only real way I've heard of it was from joining Church Down After and someone would mention it and then the same thing would be said across the amount of times we have to watch that that explains I did make a Hector Zeroni reference in the chat once and no one really bit which explains your lack of bite on it you wouldn't know who that is makes no sense I'm I'm hoping um, 
when people watch back Monday's podcast, they they pick up on uh, Antonio context because I was very pleased with that. <laughs> I can't believe I missed it. Damn shame. I was, was Alex said I think the context of it, and I said the Antonio, and then I think it might <laughs> kind of just barrel over it. <laughs> oh, Alex, um, shit over you. Harry Potter then is is probably, and I've said this for a lot of things today, top of the list when it comes to non-Christmas films that kind of feel Christmassy. Um, they're all over the TV channels at Christmas every single year. I know New Year's this year, they're doing the equivalent of like the Friends thing where they've got them back together to just talk about... You see, uh, J.K. Rowling wasn't invited. I didn't, but... Because of the... I mean, not to the, be... The yeah. Trans thing. <laughs> yeah, they essentially said, look... I know you're basically responsible for this, but you can't come. Sorry. Well, she's kind of done the thing of uh, someone's gone. Look, I know you know, I know issue you believe in these things, but just just don't say them in public. Like, <laughs> can you not do that? And she's gone the opposite way of like, well, I've made my money now. I'm going to say whatever the hell I want to say. Yeah, she's leaned um, into it. Yeah, not helped herself at all. Um, so the scene that we've picked out is um, kind of the build-up to Ron and uh, Harry waking up on Christmas morning. So a couple of things even leading up to that. They do just look like Christmassy films. One, because you put snow in there. One, the whole kind of magical aspect of it. But they do just kind of nail the Christmas feeling here without even having to do a Christmas scene. Yeah, they they have absolutely cracked it in that regard, haven't they? They've, in a totally different way, but like what, like with Die Hard, where you could watch it any time of year, but yeah. then also feel more inclined to watch it at Christmas. They've got that perfect balance of the two. Yeah. And they, they are obviously helped by this odd, that odd thing where one year ITV just decided we're showing these films at Christmas, and then ever since, they've just shown them every Christmas, which is kind of, you feel like it's not by design, obviously by Harry Potter, but it's kind of fallen into becoming a tradition rather than it was intended yeah, so to. It's been the anniversary of um, a couple of them this year, like the five or ten or whatever, um, like multiple. Um, mm. And so they've been re-showing them at the cinema. And I thought if I was marketing it, I would say on a Tuesday evening, we're going to show one back to back to back in the lead up to Christmas or whatever. Um, instead, for just like two Saturdays, they just started at like 10 o'clock in the morning. And then just reeled off like four films at a time. And so you really, if you wanted to watch them all in the cinema, <laughs> had to commit yourself to yeah. doing it properly. I think That's the only that. one they did separately was um, The Philosopher's Stone, which we'd just done for um, the podcast at the time. But I'm sure there were some very committed people there. That is it. I guess, you know, you say about it, in a way you will get in enough nutters who absolutely love it that would commit to it so maybe their way of doing it is even more effective well liking harry potter seems to be kind of the modern day um way of a celebrity saying look i'm just like you uh, <laughs> yeah just like, no, right. i just i just love harry potter i've seen tom holland doing it all of this week and i've seen it with plenty of others um recently when like, no, i just love harry potter so much it's the whole, um, it's cool not to be cool thing, isn't it? Yeah. It's, it's the thing. The, the games of chess they play far more at the beginning than the end of the first film. Just looks like so much fun. You know, chess would be considered so much cooler if um, 
your pieces were smashing each other to bits every time you, you took one. I feel like it would have reeled in a lot more people. Yeah. It would have seen as a less nerdy game. Yeah. Imagine, imagine if, imagine how different Harry Potter could have turned out if Ron does get murdered in that first one. <laughs> so he's got to go. This guy's going to smash him in two. It's mad because you, you do see people and they say, oh, why couldn't this have been a horror film? It would have been so much better. Like the, There's a new um, Doctor Strange film coming out next year. And one of the directors, uh, initial directors, quit because he couldn't make it into a horror film like he wanted to. And it's like, as much as I admire your vision, Marvel aren't going to go back on everything they've done to this point to say, <laughs> yeah, make this like a dark 15 rated or... 18 rated horror film just so you have your vision it's just never gonna happen yeah you know what we've not had much success so we're gonna have to go with what you want not gonna happen because i remember thinking it um at when i was younger i said i haven't done that and i've not watched all the harry potter films back in don't think i ever have watched them all back like that but there's a bit in the books where i think it's draco or someone has a spell cast on them where just like they just turn to blood, basically, like on the outside yeah. of their skin or whatever. Yeah. And I remember watching the film back and thinking, oh, they didn't really do that. And then looking now and thinking, yeah, I can completely understand why they didn't do that in a, a franchise that's been based toward kids for the last 10 years. Makes perfect sense. The scene they have in here, though, um, how early were you waking up on Christmas? Because I think I said this on last year's uh, Christmas special. I can't ever imagine you too excitable barreling down your parents' door. <laughs> I just imagine you're like head now, like a cartoon, not like a kid's body. I mean, it's funny you say that because my head did actually grow a lot quicker than the rest of me. So I did have essentially this, this size head when I was about like nine. Um, <laughs> I know what you mean. We have like an annual tradition on this pod where we're essentially going that basically I didn't have a childhood. It's basically in, in our minds. Um, no, I would have been getting up early. I reckon about seven, half seven. Yeah. Um, until probably, you know, a few years ago, I still would have been getting up at an earlier time, a pretty early time than usual. Now it's a bit more than that time. time, to be fair. I, think I still get up just because... you know, earlier than I will. I wouldn't have a light in. Yeah. No, my lions lately aren't even really lions. They're like beyond that point. <laughs> so I don't really know what I call a lion these days. Um, but with this invisibility cloak Harry opens up there was something I think it was on one of those match of the day podcasts where it may have been Mika Richards asks Alan Shearer what superpower he'd want and he says he'd like to be invisible and he says something along the lines of there's no way of saying that without sounding creepy when I ask you <laughs> what would you use it for and Shearer goes bright red and he's giggling uh, and so the whole thing is, if you were to ask anyone, what would you do with an invisibility cloak? People are like, well, I don't really, know. I don't really know. And everyone gets all all shy about it. The effects in it are weird because they do look. I mean, his body's invisible, but just seeing the head floating around just does not look normal. I don't know how else they could do it. It just looks strange in the scene. I think one of the things that breaks me about it is Ron going. I know what that is. It's an invisibility yeah. cloak. It's like, we didn't need you to name it, Ron. We can, we can pretty well see what the idea is here. Uh, it, 
it, it is a, it is a good scene. I mean, he's got his Christmas jumper on, which say Christmas jumpers have become more of a thing in the last five six years. Uh, Each year, they seem to be like more popular to have the more. Try, I'll, I'll say try try one. ten years. The last ten years, okay, I'd say, yeah. there's been a rise in popularity. Um, at the time of these films, obviously, it would have been the least cool thing. Would have been seen dead yeah. in them. The way the whole scene is set up, essentially, by the way, is at the last minute, Ron's parents just decide they'd rather have Christmas in Romania. And he absolutely. has no he hesitations about that. He's absolutely <laughs> fine with it. But anyway, it seems a pretty tight-knit family. He's like, oh, well, I'll just go through... I'm just going to spend my Christmas in the library instead. That's a much better option. How much do I say cringe? I know we touched... I know you guys touched on it. On yeah. the, uh, but they must cringe looking back on those first couple of films where... I mean, they're, they're kids, but the acting is... Oof. Oh, God. I find... Some of them, though, like Daniel Radcliffe's carved out his own kind of niche way, says basically he's made enough money now so he just makes the films he wants, which is why he's just in like, the weirdest stuff. Mm. Emma Watson, I do just kind of cringe whenever she talks, no matter what she's talking about, so that hasn't really changed. And then Rupert Grint, I think the last I saw of him was when he was in the Ed Sheeran video, so I don't really know what he's up to. No, I was going to say I don't know what he's doing. Always mad when you look back at his way of trying to get out of just not being seen as the Harry Potter kid was doing a film about his farts sending a rocket into space. <laughs> Even weird, you know, my mum taking us to see that at a cinema. Um, I think I've touched on before that the, there's an odd phase where in the last couple of films, girls started liking him, started thinking yeah. he was half, half decent. And I can't help but notice that I started getting called Ron a lot less. <laughs> The parallels stopped being drawn, it seemed. Bang out of order. Hey, what can you do? The only other ones I down, and I have far less to say on them, is um, the, the one scene for American Psycho at the Christmas party there. <laughs> Essentially, just because I love the idea of um, Reese Witherspoon's character walking around with a pet pig as if it's the most normal thing on Earth. And she calls Patrick Bateman a Grinch Aside of from all other things, just because he doesn't want to hold her little pet pig. <laughs> in a in a film that's spinny enough, this is a spinny spinny scene. <laughs> it's it seems so robotic in this scene, which I guess is kind of his character. But mm. those kind of fancy bashes just look horrific. I can't even imagine when you're at that kind of rich level that you look forward to going to one of them. The, the... It's as a part of the wider film, they do a great job of making it all seem just totally soulless, don't they? Yeah. Uh. <laughs> Reese Witherspoon just looks. I mean, I don't know what I just said about uh, you. I've given a picture of being young. It's weird seeing a young Reese Witherspoon. I feel like she always looks like she should have been about 35 and then just stayed at that point because she hasn't actually aged in the last like 10 years. No, it, it does seem she's but just she been frozen in time. As young, yeah, yeah, yeah. Can't imagine her young. Can't imagine her old. Celebrity problems and all that. I saw she did an interview recently where she said, "Yeah, I know it's just, it's just such a struggle for my daughter looking so much like her mum." <laughs> oh, Jesus. <laughs> yeah, that poor girl. Um, and at the end of the scene, she says, "What does Mister Grinch want for Christmas?" I don't say breast implants again. So 
he he's been digging her out for I assume either all of that Christmas or Christmases before that as well. But she puts up with it. The whole thing in throughout the film of people getting his name wrong is just is just great. <laughs> I'll always enjoy just routinely disrespecting someone like that. So I'd seen it once kind of half watching it. I think I texted you when I was on the way back from Arsenal once. Um I think the five thirty kickoff was just rubbish. So I, I stuck on American Psycho. It's an easy, like, hour 30, isn't it? And I wouldn't say it's an easy, but it's a, it's a short film. Yeah, yeah, yeah the runtime. It's You feel kind of none the wiser in, at the start of the film as you do at the end as to what the hell have I just watched. <laughs> also, yeah. them, I, I feel like people, if anyone was sat behind me on the coach, if they don't know what that film is, they're kind of very going to be very judgmental. Like, what the hell are you watching on there? <laughs> For sure, yeah. At various points, either when he's doing the killing or the, the random things of like him doing the face mask or it's yeah. a workout, whether they'll be thinking, What is this guy? Yeah, because he came, became a bit of a meme for a period of time. Um, yeah. One, like you said with Ron Weasley, where girls on Twitter were suddenly like, Oh my God, he's so dreamy. Yeah, probably wouldn't be saying that if um, the bloke existed and uh, he's not someone you'd want to be taking you out for a drink. <laughs> the scene I've taken down from Rocky, I, I didn't actually take down which Rocky it's from. Maybe you're going to be able to. It's Rocky Five. Here. Okay. Yeah. That explains well, not even seen the whole film. Um, it's a weird scene in isolation. I don't know if it makes any more sense in the grand scheme of things mm. that you can point to. <laughs> yeah. So his, his basic his son's beef is that he's not showing him any attention, spending any time with him, um, because he's training Tommy Gunn, this new fighter. So he's spending all his time with him. And he's the very classic, dad, dad, look what I've done. And he's like, yeah, that's great, son. And then he's training Tommy, so he's not paying yeah. any attention to him at all. And that's essentially where the son's beef stems from. And obviously he's saying at the end of the scene, oh, come on, look, we want to spend time together and stuff. Yeah. Eventually, not in the scene that we've got here, but at the end of it, he goes, oh, you're not spending any time with me. And essentially, he's a lot like, um, he's got issues like uh, the, the Skylar White syndrome, where you think, his complaints are totally legitimate, <laughs> yeah. but I'm really annoyed with you. Will you just shut up? Stop being whining. I think they could have picked someone better to dress up as Santa. Paulie is not here. Yeah. Doesn't exactly <laughs> commit, does he? No, it, I've said on here before when I had to dress up as uh, Santa for um, the co-op when I worked there, and it's just the weirdest, the weirdest thing. I mean, I know in the, in the night before, Joseph Gordon-Levitt's character says, "You put on that suit." And um, you, you carry like a, a certain level of principles you're supposed to uphold that 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 carries some weight. That suit. <laughs> it was the weirdest, weirdest thing. Did the weight of expectation get you down? Is that what well, it was? The, the the issue the issue was for a start that I was a lot more trim then, and there was no belt for the Santa trousers, which were over my work trousers. They kept falling down essentially if I moved, and. My other thing is that I wasn't someone like uh, where you'd sit in town, wouldn't you, with another little grotto and uh, parents would take their kids to go and see Father Christmas. I wasn't that guy. I was just a guy dressed as Santa. So when kids are coming up and like hugging my leg, it was like, am I supposed to pat you on the back here? Am I supposed to, like, I don't really know what. <laughs> what is the done thing here? From me. <laughs> I just didn't really say much. Just pat them on the back and then wait for their parents to grab them 
there's quite a uh, depressing tone to this Rocky scene where there's like a, they're at that crossover where he's still sort of pretending for his kid's sake, but his kid is kind of past this stage now. And you yeah. know, there's that awkward sort of crossover that all parents must face. It was horrible to watch. It was oh. Paulie's calling the kids chubby, which isn't a great start either. <laughs> he's a he's a bastard for ninety percent of all the films. Yeah. He really is. He just kind of will say something nice at the end of one of them. Basically, all is forgiven. The I mean, scene... it, within this film, by the way, he's lost all their money. He's he's, he's spunked all their money on some scheme, and it's all just ah, oh, well, it's Paulie, and it's what he's like. <laughs> now they've got to live in this this dump back in uh, back in Philly. Yeah, because I was going to take, and I think it's from Rocky 4, where essentially it's Christmas time and he, he comes into like his office kind of thing and he's telling him basically, you can't beat this guy, why are you persistently trying to do this? But I thought this one left a bit, uh, had a bit more to it. A bit more um, Christmas. Rocky's got a great turtleneck on in uh, <laughs> in, in this. Um, it's just... It's just weird hearing him talk, Sylvester Stallone. Like, if you're not prepared for it, um, I wasn't really expect, I wasn't not expecting it, but catch you off guard the first time you hear him kind of slurring his way through the Rocky. Yeah, it's perfect for it, isn't it? But uh, also the very much, um, you know, as you said about De Niro, a lot of people in doing impersonations, a lot of people have done sly over yeah. the years as well. Yeah, I was going to do it. Um, well, I was going to dress up as Santa for my nephews and nieces last year but around the same time when my nephew started loving Spider-Man I just bought a mask off Amazon and put it on and he knew it was me despite my whole head being covered and I thought it's not really going to work here me being <laughs> on Christmas with just a beard on if that didn't work where my entire head's covered <laughs> so uh, just was never going to happen but those are the scenes uh, we had for today. Just a, a little one to keep the festive spirit up. Me and Keenan will be back next week, which will be the 29th. And it is going to be The Untouchables vs. Hostage, I believe. I'll just check that. I may have gone a week too soon. There we go. Yeah, The Untouchables vs. Hostage is what me and Keenan will be doing next week. So we'll be snapping straight out of the Christmas spirit and going into uh, <laughs> Bruce Willis uh, as a hostage negotiator and uh, taking down Al Capone. So um, thank you for listening to another edition of Movie Madness. As I said, we'll be back next week and I hope everyone has a lovely Christmas. Adios.